Welcome to the May 13th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is in 2 Kings 17 and 18. Hopefully, you've already spent time in God's Word, so let's get started. Second Kings 17. As this chapter uh, begins, we're looking at the very last king of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel is about to cease to exist. So let's begin by reading the first two verses, verses 1 and 2. Here it is. In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. So we read that King Hosea became king and reigned for nine years, and he did what the Lord considered evil. And even though he wasn't as bad as many of the previous kings of Israel, the inevitable was now unavoidable. In verses 3 through 5, Uh, We read that the king of Assyria overpowered King Hosea and made him a vassal. King Hosea was seen to be under Assyria's authority and was responsible for paying yearly taxes to Assyria. However, rather than pay the tribute, King Hosea sought the king of Egypt's help. King Shalmaneser heard about this conspiracy and besieged Israel for three years. And then we read in verse 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Hala, along the Habor, uh, the Gozans River, and in the cities of the Medes. Well, as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, the Assyrians believed that if they resettled a conquered people in another country, those people would lose their national pride and patriotism they would be much more easily led and manipulated by the Assyrians. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites. They were transported almost certainly on foot to places that were around 700 or more miles away. And as if there was any serious question about the reason God turned the Israelites over to the Assyrians, the author of 2 Kings tells us why. Listen to verse 7. The disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. In other words, God had rescued them from Egyptian bondage so that he had every right to expect them to demonstrate their gratitude by following him, especially since his commands would enable them to flourish. How did they respond? How did they demonstrate their gratitude? They worshipped other gods. They worshipped what was not real, replacing the God who was real. They acted in such a way as to create a climate of immorality and discord. Okay, so we acknowledge that the Israelites abandoned their God, so he turned them over to the Assyrians. But did he warn them? Did he call out to them to turn from their sin that would lead to judgment? Well, just listen to verse 13. 
Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. Well, later this year, we'll get to the prophetic books in the Old Testament. Those guys were constantly pointing out Israel's sins and calling them, pleading with them to repent. The people of Israel were clearly warned. As we read 2 Kings 17, it feels like God is building his case for why he was justified to send the Israelites into bondage. We just read that uh, he had warned them over and over with the prophets. But how did they respond? Did they repent? Listen to verses 14 through 17. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he made with their ancestors and warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed and worshipped to all the stars in the sky and served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. This is why God was right to send the Israelites into captivity. Listen to verses 18 through 20. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord uh, their God, but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to the plunderers until he had banished them from from his presence. So the Lord has explained his line of reasoning for pouring out his wrath upon the Israelites. His reasoning is sound and cannot be debated. Friend, have you ever wondered what it'll be like on the day of judgment for those who are not trusting in Jesus to save them? It will probably be something like what we've just read. God will point out all of the specific sins that they committed. He will also specify all of the times that he brought them into circumstances that encouraged them to repent and turn to him, but they refused. So he will justly consign them to hell. Please be open today and every day after this to share the good news of the gospel with people you meet. Be open to the opportunities God will give you to tell others about how they can get right with God so that they never have to experience the terror of standing before God as he consigns them to hell forever. Let's get back to 2 Kings 17. We're told in verses 21 through 23 that every king of Israel from Jeroboam until Hosea chose to disobey the Lord, even though they were regularly warned by God's prophets to repent. So God sent them into captivity. Listen to verse 23. Finally, the Lord removed Israel from his presence, just as he had declared through all his servants, the prophets. 
So Israel has been exiled to Assyria from their homeland to this very day. And again, remember when we're reading the scripture and it says things like to this very day, we may as the reader assume that it's to this day. No, it's, it's to the day that the writer was, was writing this. So the Israelites were forcibly transplanted into lands hundreds of miles away, leaving the cities of Israel essentially barren. Most of the people were gone. What happened to the land? What happened to the land of Israel? Verse 24, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in place of the Israelites in the cities of Samaria. The settlers took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So citizens and captives from other places who were not descendants of Abraham, were resettled in Israel's homeland. Further, we're told in verses 25 through 28 that the people who settled in the land of Israel experienced God's wrath and cried out to know the God of Israel. Listen to verse 28. So one of the priests they had deported, so one of the Israelite priests they had deported came back and lived in Bethel, and he began to teach them how they should fear the Lord. So he's teaching the captives. These are not Jews. They were brought in from other lands and settled in the land of Israel. And so this Israelite priest was brought back, and he taught them how they, pagans, should fear the Lord. So what was the result? Well, it's kind of sort of syncretism. Syncretism is simply the mixture of two or more religions or schools of thought, and as they get mixed, they create something that's really not either one. In the case before us, the people worship the Lord while simultaneously worshiping their own gods and really messing up both. <laughs> they certainly weren't wasn't worshiping the Lord. Verse 33, it says, They feared the Lord, but they also worshiped their own gods according to the practice of the nations from which they had been deported. So they really didn't know the Lord God. They hadn't sought him with all of their heart. Um, not all of their heart. They were given maybe half of it, and the other half they were given to their gods. And how offensive is this to God that they would supposedly serve him and serve other gods? Honestly, it'd be like a husband who told his wife that he wanted to enjoy sexual privileges of marriage with her, but he also wanted to enjoy that act with other women as well. It would be adultery, pure and simple, and would be a slap in the face to his wife that he would want both. It would be utterly offensive. This is something of what it must feel like to God when people worship him, but also have other, quote, gods that control their lives. So what happens when we try to worship the Lord while also having other things in our life that have our allegiance? We would eventually abandon the Lord altogether, right? You know, if we're only giving him half of our heart, eventually we'll give him none at all. Listen to verse 34. They are still observing the former practices to this day. None of them fear the Lord or observe the statutes and ordinances, the law and commands that the Lord had commanded the descendants of Jacob, whom he had given the name of Israel. And so eventually these pagans who had settled into the land of Israel were not serving the Lord at all. Once again, 
And, and this is a lesson. This is something that I've seen over and over. As I've passed, been in the pastorate for 20 years, I have observed things behind the scenes much more so than I would if I just sat on the pew and was a member of a church. One of the things that I have observed is that a parent who is only half-hearted at best, excited about the Lord, only half-hearted, only half-hearted, that their children rarely will go above being half-hearted. In fact, they may be a quarter-hearted. They may be even not even impressed with the Lord at all. Usually, the child does not rise above the parent. That's generally true. And uh, so I'm telling you, it's not just about us. It's about those who come after us. We owe it to the Lord at to live a heart of gratitude, out of a heart of gratitude to be indebted to him and to love him and to serve him and surrender to him and obey him. But it's not just about us. It's about those who are watching us and family that would come after us. Friends, we must look at stories like this and then take an assessment of our own lives. Are we fully obedient to the Lord? Do we recognize that since the Lord saved us and brought us out of slavery, to, uh, out, out of a slavery to sin, that we must now live in obedience to him from a grateful heart? Are we trying to worship the Lord while allowing other gods to control us as well? Friend, God will not share his throne with another. Listen to this. He is either king of all in your and my life, or he is not king at all. Second Kings 18. Well, after the sadness of Israel's demise that we observed in the last chapter... The writer of 2 Kings is led by the Holy Spirit to focus once again on the southern kingdom of Judah. However, it's not just any king that we read about. It's King Hezekiah. Listen to verses 1 and 2 as we get started. In the third year of Israel's king Hoshea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Well, he's one of the two kings of Judah that I greatly respect. Just listen to how the Lord described him. Listen to verses 3 through 6. He, Hezekiah, he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now listen to this next part. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made, for until then the Israelites were burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. So verse 4 tells us that King Hezekiah even busted up, broke to pieces, the bronze serpent on the bronze pole. Remember in the book of Numbers how the people of Israel were grumbling and so the Lord sent poisonous snakes to bite them. Some of them were dying. And so the Lord told Moses, hey, build a bronze serpent, put it on a bronze pole. And when the people look at that, then they will be saved. They will uh, be saved from the, the, the toxins and from the, the snake bites. And Jesus, even in John chapter 3, said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, a son, must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus was pointing back to that as a shadow of what he would ultimately do on the cross. This, this uh, piece of you know bronze 
has lasted a good long while, but we're told that the Israelites were actually worshiping it. They actually had turned it into an object of worship. This is why I believe that it is so wonderful that the Ark of the Covenant has not been found. So we're told that uh, the people were worshiping it. So Hezekiah said, you know what? There was a time and there was a place where this was an object that people looked to and were saved from their illnesses, from the snake bites. But that time and place is no longer here. It's gone. It's in the past. And so he busted it up so that the people of Israel could not worship it. In verse 5, it continues all of the good things Hezekiah was doing. Verse 5. Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. So this is incredible. We read in verse 7 that he was so resolute in his obedience to the Lord that he prospered in everything he did. He even rebelled against the powerful nation of Assyria, and they were forced to accept their defeat, at least temporarily. He also defeated the Philistines. God was working powerfully through King Hezekiah because of his obedience and his loyalty to the Lord. Then, verses 9 through 12 Take us back to the northern kingdom of Israel for a, a, just a brief bit of time. It tells us once again that the Assyrians took the people captive, the Israelites up in the northern kingdom. They took them captive and transplanted them. Why? Just listen to the Lord's reason for their defeat. He just says this over and over. He wants to make it clear why he did this. Verse 12, because they did not listen to the Lord their God, but violated his covenant, because they did not listen to the Lord their God, but violated his covenant. All he had commanded Moses, the servant, of the Lord. They did not listen. They did not obey. It's as if the Lord wants us to see how obedience to him brings blessings, as with Hezekiah, and how disobedience brings troubles, as with the northern king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. Of course, we do live in a broken, messed up world, so it doesn't always work out this way. Sometimes bad things happen to the most devout God followers. And those instances provide us yet another opportunity to determine if we are going to seek the Lord and obey him or rely upon our own resources to fix the problem. Do we really trust the Lord? It's in those times of difficulty when we truly, honestly answer that question. Well, in verses 13 through 15, Assyria's king Sennacherib attacked Judah and captured many of its fortified cities. King Hezekiah relied, uh, realized that he was in trouble and he threw up the white flag. The king of Assyria demanded 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold, and Hezekiah complied even to the point of stripping the gold off the doors of the temple. This was not one of his better moments. Yet the king of Assyria was acting deceitfully. He brought his massive army against Jerusalem anyway. In verses 19 through 25, the Assyrian royal spokesman raised his voice outside the walls of Jerusalem with the, surrounded by the massive Assyrian army. He raised his voice and he spoke to the people on the city wall so that they could hear. 
Essentially, every word this Assyrian royal spokesman said was intended to strip the inhabitants of Jerusalem of any hope. He wanted them to simply give up, open their city gate, and let the Assyrians take them into captivity. Listen to verse 26. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the royal spokesman, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew within earshot of the people on the wall. Essentially, Eliakim, the priest, and these two other guys were saying, Please speak to us in your own language because we understand it. But if you continue to speak in Hebrew, our native language, you'll discourage the inhabitants of Jerusalem. (laughs) The royal spokesman essentially responded, No kidding, that's what we intended to do. That's what I wanted to do. Then he proceeded to discourage the people from listening to King Hezekiah. If, if Hezekiah said that the Lord would rescue them, instead, they should just surrender and let the Assyrians take them off to some lush land hundreds of miles away. Everything would be just fine. At least that's the picture that he was painting. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 and 37 says, says this, But the people, that's the Israelites, I mean, the, uh, the, they're on the walls of Jerusalem, The people kept silent. They did not answer him at all, for the king's command was, Don't answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of the royal spokesman. So their clothes were torn. This was the culturally appropriate way of showing outwardly what they were feeling like inside. When the Jews ripped their clothes, they were showing that within their heart, they were broken. They were grieving. And so they came to him with clothes torn, and they reported all of the words of the royal spokesman. They came to the king. So we come to the end of this chapter with the matter unresolved. But because Hezekiah was a man that genuinely relied upon the Lord, we're going to see him respond in a very positive way in tomorrow's reading. In fact, in the very next chapter. Just remember, God is free to bless us when we obey him. Hezekiah's life demonstrated that. But that doesn't mean that we will be exempt from bad things coming into our lives. Hezekiah's life also demonstrates that. But even those difficulties allow us an opportunity to see if we genuinely love the Lord, to see if we sincerely believe that we need Him, and to see if we're ready to obey Him even if things don't make sense. Hezekiah's example in 2 Kings 19 stands as a powerful example for us to follow when life gets hard. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know all too well that life can get really hard sometimes. But help us, Lord, in those times to run to you Please graciously give us the ability to trust in you, to rest in you when those bad times come our way. 
and may you reward our response by giving us what we need to keep to keep our chin up until you bring us into easier times or until you call us home to be with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you tomorrow.